Hello and welcome to the First End Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we have not done one of these episodes in a while where you're stuck listening to my voice and what should be Logan's voice, but Logan's got a little bit of a cough. Um, so we had to put him on IR for this week, but have no fear. We heard what you guys said about our talented, I don't know if co-host is the right word, but definitely recurring guest. Uh, he's not related to Will Farrell, but they do share the same last name. <laughs> Luke Farrell is back. Luke, how are we doing today, man? Hey, doing well, Toby. Seriously, thanks for having me back on. Uh, you're too kind. Words are too kind. Uh, but uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to being on the show today. And obviously, our well wishes uh, to Logan. You get better soon. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Definitely the wrong time to get sick. Hopefully the cough doesn't. I, I have a feeling by the time someone puts – I played a turkey and mashed potatoes in front of them on Thursday. The <laughs> cough goes away. It's just my uh, – I, I would definitely put some money on that bet right now. I'd say it's a solid prediction for sure. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, we've got a lot of football to talk about, though, man. I mean, we're going to start, of course, with our Buckeyes, you know, our home state team. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, Corey Curtis on recently who was a quarterback for the Buckeyes back yeah. during the Dwayne Haskins years. And Corey talked about what an offensive genius Ryan Day is. And, you know – Myself, yeah. I've been somewhat critical of Ryan Day this season. And, you know, there were times in this game against Maryland, I know the Buckeyes pull out the win 43-30. And really at this point, given what all the other top teams are looking like, you just need to keep winning. It doesn't matter how you win at this point, just win. So a win's a win, but I it wasn't the Buckeyes offense I was as concerned about today. You know, obviously no Travion Henderson. I mean, he played, but like he didn't play. He didn't yep. play a big factor. Um, mine Williams didn't play Jackson Smith and Jigba. I, uh, there's reports he could play this week. Um, I not going to hold my breath though. I am a little worried about CJ Stroud and the fact that defenses are taking away his first read and the issues that seems to be causing, but the fact that you had down Hayden come in third string running back, true freshman rushed for nearly 150 yards. I loved it was the defense I was worried about Tua's brother lit us up at times <laughs> i mean that's an understatement that's an understatement it looked like i was watching two a play what were i mean <laughs> am i overreacting that the defense may have some real weaknesses or is are you as concerned as i am about this defense so i'll tell you what uh first and foremost i think we have to give props uh before coming to our defense i think we just had to give props to talia tagaloa i mean that kid's an absolute baller looking at his stat line 26 of 36 Threw for 293, two touchdowns, no picks. I'm just going to say this. Um, no disrespect to Maryland. I think they've built an awesome, awesome, uh, somewhat competitive program in the Big Ten East. Um, obviously, having to draw that Big Ten East side with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, that's a gauntlet for them. If I was Talia, I, if I was you know a team in need of a quarterback, I think Talia Tagovailoa via the transfer portal may be worth a look. First and foremost, I think he's extremely talented. Uh, definitely, definitely think he showed on Saturday. His last name is not the only reason he had some popularity coming out of high school. He's truly a baller. He has some really, really, really uh, positive uh, sides to his game. So that's number one. I think he's just a very talented quarterback. But number two, I do think the defense, specifically the secondary, showed some weaknesses. It's a young secondary. Um, Denzel Burke specifically, I know he's a major, major uh, point of scrutiny for the secondary. I think he's gotten better as the season's gone on. 
A lot of guys rotated in and out. Some guys have not lived up to expectations. Um, Overall, though, I think this Jim Knowles defense, if it's proven one thing for us, they gave up 30 points on Saturday. But if it's proven one thing, it's this. I do think they make adjustments when they have to. And I would say it is a bend, not break type of defense. I don't see Jim Knowles getting out schemed to the fact and to the point of uh, just getting gouged every single drive, you know, by every single opposing offense. But I do think that his defense is definitely predicated on mid-game adjustments. And you saw on Saturday uh, all props to Mike Loxley in Maryland. They truly, truly came out uh, inspired, ready to play, with a great offensive game plan that threw this defense off. I do think, though, Jim Knowles uh, really, really, uh, if he had to pick, this was probably it was a great week to have some defensive issues um, you know, pointed out, some glaring defensive issues pointed out that he can help get patched up before the game, obviously, against the Wolverines this upcoming weekend in Michigan. So um, I think this defense is going to be okay, still have some kinks to work out, but I'm not as worried um, as I was last year with the defensive situation. So that's definitely, definitely, um, you know, it was a point of concern the entire year. And I have full faith and trust in Jim Knowles. I think he's an incredible defensive mind, and I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. You know, I will say if the reports are true, you know, Zach Harrison – you know, in post-game interview said that Tommy Eichenberg, the linebacker, was playing with two broken hands. Um, If that's true, I have no panic at all because that's just like, I I don't know what they gave him in the locker room, but we all need some of that. (laughs) Yeah, can we just like, can we just like give a moment of appreciation? Tommy Eichenberg, um, when you think of just like a, just an absolute, uh, just Ohio State in a nutshell, just linebacker. I mean, he looks the part, he plays the part, just tough, gritty. Uh, just an absolute glass eater, man. That guy is an absolute stud. I love him to death. He's the heart and soul of the defense, in my opinion. And it's truly been something we've missed in, you know, the last couple of years in the, you know, debacles of Kerry Combs' defenses was, you know, you, you think back to great Ohio State teams, and I'm going to, you know, look at Jim Trussell era. And then you had A.J. Hawk. You had Bobby Carpenter. You know, you had Anthony Schlegel. Yeah. Lauren Itis, Katz and Moyer, you know, guys who can just flat out, hit they're not afraid and you know you talk about Tommy Eichenberg but another guy I want to give some love to there's a guy who broke his thumb on the very first play of the game Lathan Ransom I mean yes, sir. Thorpe, Thorpe award winner I'm, I think we need to call it now a kid's an absolute baller he, he doesn't get the love he deserves he and I, I don't know if it's because of the statistical output of the entire defense or what it is but the, the blocked punt is what changed that game if he does not get home on that punt because if you look, even with the adjustments, even when we went up 14 at one point, Tugger Loa and that Maryland offense responded. And the one thing that shocked me was we've seen athletic quarterbacks this year. Toledo had one of the best running quarterbacks that people are going to see. Notre Dame's quarterback has figured it out, and we're going to talk about them later. But a true rushing threat, and it, it didn't matter. We were able to, you know, keep them contained, but. You know, Tugavaloa ran on us very effectively. And you talked about teams who could use a quarterback. I think of one team in the Big Ten specifically. If you put Tugavaloa on Michigan. Wow. How much better are they? Well, I'll tell you what. It definitely raises uh, raises your eyebrows a little bit. I, I do think J.J. McCarthy is a good quarterback. I do. He's still young. He's still raw. Uh, I still think he has to channel, obviously, that deep ball. Um, they struggle. I think I saw the stat the other day. They're the 93rd ranked passing offense in the country. So, obviously, um, I don't think you can fully put that on J.J. McCarthy. I just think they're obviously a run-first identity team. 
Uh, but it definitely raises some uh, raises your eyebrows and brings some really interesting things to the forefront. I think Talia Tagovailoa put him in, you know, put him in the maize and blue, put him in a, you know, in a situation, put him in a program where they definitely need a quarterback. And I think he would only be an improvement over most quarterbacks in the country. I think he's that good. I really do. I mean, because I'm thinking of, you know, several programs. I would start him over DJ there in Clemson. I, I, I honestly would. And I know some I people might say, I agree. Oh, I mean, you would almost have to, in my opinion. I think he walks into Clemson, takes the job. I think he walks into Michigan and takes the job. Um, there's a lot of teams who I think would love to have him. And, you know, looking at the Buckeyes quarterback, C.J. Stroud, he did some nice things. I want to start there. He did some very nice things in this game. There's just a lot of concern over whether or not, if you take away Marvin Harrison, is C.J. Stroud as effective? And what I mean by that is, as we get later into the year, we're going to play Michigan this week. And then in the Big Ten Championship, if Iowa wins this week, we would see Iowa again. And then obviously you get into the college football playoff. And TCU, who is winning and winning a lot, has two of the best corners in all of college football, two of the fastest corners in all of college yeah. football. Georgia has a very physical defense. So these teams that we could potentially line up against are going to have the guys to neutralize to an extent, Marvin Harrison, meaning Egmeka Egbuka, Julian Fleming, Cade Stover are going to need to be more critical points of the offense. And I don't see Stroud's same level of, you know, comfortability throwing to them as I see with Marvin Harrison. Is the book out on Stroud? Is he still this elite quarterback prospect that, you know, he has been touted as? Tell you what, um, CJ Stroud, I think – in my entire life of watching Ohio State quarterbacks, I don't know if there's been one who has faced as much scrutiny, who has faced as much pushback, as much opposition as C.J. Stroud. And I'm just going to say this. Has he made mistakes? Yeah. Has he looked like a young quarterback at times? Yeah. He's a college quarterback. He's still growing. He's still maturing. I personally, I personally am a massive fan of C.J. Stroud. Now, like I said, is he perfect by no, you know, by any means? No, no. He's not. He makes mistakes. He looks frazzled at times. He has his deer in the headlights moments. But I'll tell you what, if there's one thing about C.J. Stroud that I've realized, I think he's an incredible leader. I think that he has that drive. He has that determination just to continue to get better. I think as the season goes on, I think this Saturday is going to help C.J. I really do. It sounds crazy. I think it's going to help him, and this is why. I think this Saturday um, it's going to push him to expand his first looks outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. We've heard it all year. C.J. Stroud is a he he locks into his first read, and if his first read's not there, he looks frazzled. And, you know, you get him under pressure, he looks frazzled. If that first read's not there, he looks out of it. I do think, though, that this week, I think Ryan Day is really going to work with him. I think Corey Dennis, the quarterback's coach, I think the entire offensive, you know, coaching staff is going to have to push with him. Look, dude, we've got studs outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr., come on, has burst on the scene. I like to say – if he is not the best receiver in college football, he is right there in the top three. He is a freak of nature. But I'm telling you what, for losing Jackson Smith and Jigba to have to basically completely overhaul his entire offensive scheme, the offensive play calling, and everything after that Notre Dame game, I think C.J. Stroud's done a great job. He just has to realize he's got incredible talent past Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think the X factor, if we're going to talk about the X factor a little bit, I think a guy that he's got to get involved more because we're only uh, we only play better when he gets involved. It's Cade Stover. I think Cade Stover is one of those X factors. We get the big guys involved like a Cade Stover. 
Um, I truly, truly think this offense goes to a different level and hits another gear. So I think CJ is going to get better. And I think as he plays against these tougher um, oppositions, you know, on defense, whether it's a Michigan, um, whether it is a TCU, whether it's a Georgia, I think as he continues to play against them, he's going to mature. And I think he's going to mature quickly. I think CJ has the IQ for it. Uh, I think he has the IQ to be able to read these defenses to mature pretty quickly. And I think it's going to be a point uh, that this coaching staff is going to continue to push is look, man, you got to look past that first read. You got to realize that you got more bailout options than Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, by himself. So, you know, and you brought up Michigan. So we got to get into their game too. You know, they win 19 17 on a walk off field goal against Illinois. And, you know, I had said a couple episodes ago that I really thought Illinois could beat Michigan. And I said that because Illinois has the number one rushing attack in the country. But Illinois' quarterback just disappeared, chose not to play. I, I don't know what you want to call it. But here's what I worry about for Michigan coming into the Ohio State game. One, Blake Corum is banged up. Yeah. He was seldomly used in the second half. And if I'm an Ohio State fan, which I am, and I know you are as well, I think I speak for all of us saying, I want Blake Corum at 100% in the Ohio oh. State-Michigan game because yep. I want to beat Michigan at their best so we can shut up Michigan fans who said, well, you know, we're still the better team. You only beat us because we didn't have Blake. Like, no, put Blake Corum out there. I want to see it because I still think, and I will say this emphatically, even with Blake Corum at 100%, Michigan is too one-dimensional this year. They're too reliant on the run to be a true national title contender. You cannot be this one-dimensional and beat the elite teams. I, I think we're seeing it time and time again, you know, that – they played Maryland earlier this year to a 34-27 game. You know, people want to rag on, you know, Ohio State and some of the scores they've had of late. Michigan's had plenty of them too, and a lot of them look different than Ohio State's in the sense that, like, there's nothing to get excited about with this Michigan offense outside of Blake Corum. In your opinion, is Michigan a true, legit threat, or is it Blake – or do they go the way of Blake Corum? tell you what Blake Corum um I'm not even I mean I'm not even going to sound like a hater with this comment I I truly believe Blake Corum is one of the most underrated running backs maybe the most underrated player in the country this kid is definitely um, a dark horse in the Heisman race Um, I think he's got a ton of talent but I do think he has to be feeling the heat he's got to be feeling a ton of pressure like gosh if I don't produce what does this offense do and it's Kind of simple to say, they don't look very good when he is not producing. And so this Saturday, Blake Corum obviously shutting him down has to be priority number one. But priority number two, people want to overlook. Corum's the guy, but people want to overlook Donovan Edwards. Five-star running back out of uh, West Bloomfield, Michigan, I believe. Kid was an absolute baller coming out of high school. Ohio State wanted him. This kid has a ton of potential. Donovan Edwards is the kid that I am worried about and the guy that this this two-headed monster that Michigan trots out there. Uh, I think I think Donovan Edwards actually might be dealing with a couple injuries as well. This entire running back room dinged up a little bit, as is Ohio State. I think everybody this time of year, especially in the Big Ten, just smash mouth, just you know, run it up the gut, just guys getting just beaten and bruised and battered every week. But I do think uh, Michigan – at times with Quorum, um, you know, at the helm, that's the game plan. Get Quorum the ball, let him do what he does. And when that's not working, I do think if you're a Michigan fan, you have to be somewhat concerned. I do, because you can't be a one-dimensional team to win in this day and age in college football. In the 80s and 90s, it worked. In the 2000s, you know, started to change. The tide, you know, turned a little bit. 
uh, running backs, you know, were still heavy, 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 um, you know, uh, heav heavily pushed as far as the center of an offensive attack. But, you know, since the turn, you know, the 2010s and so on and so forth, football is a pass first game. That's just how it seems to be in the NFL and college, you know, the college ranks. So I think Michigan don't necessarily need to hit the panic button, but uh, if quorum is not, you know, if quorum is not producing, uh, that's when I think that they have to immediately go back to the drawing board and say, okay, we got to have someone step up besides, you know, quorum. So, you know, and I will say for Michigan this year, you know, the, the one thing they had last year was an elite defensive front, David Ajabo, Aiden Hutchinson. It's not there this year. It's still it's very good, there. but it's not to that level. And it, the key to success for Ohio state this coming weekend a is going to be load the box, stop the run, make J.J. McCarthy pass, get him in passing obvious downs. And when you have him in those third and longs, those obvious pass downs, you have to do some – you have to give him different looks, disguise pressure. You know, I think specifically to a blitz that Jim Knowles ran this past Saturday against Maryland where Steel Chambers just came, shot out of a cannon through the A-gap because of the way Knowles disguised the blitz. You got to do things like that because if you can do that – Michigan is not shown that they can throw the football very well, and they've shown that they can't throw it at all under duress. So those are going to be the keys to success. But I want to look at some of these other games because there was a lot going on in college football. I mean, yeah. the number one team in the country, Georgia, played Kentucky, and this is a Kentucky team that was reeling, coming off losses to teams like Vanderbilt. But Georgia really struggled 16-6, to the final score. I, I would I will say this. Don't read into this game too much. This is a Kentucky team that has been hearing for weeks now. You guys are a failure. You're a disappointment. Will Levis was supposed to be a first-round pick. Chris Rodriguez Jr. is supposed to be this great running back. You guys are, you know, so disappointing. So Kentucky had nothing to lose and just went out there and said, oh, you don't think we have talent? Watch what we do against the number one team in the country. And if you're Georgia, you have to know that everybody you play from here on out is gunning for you. Because you're the clear number one, you're the defending national champ, and this is just one of those games where Kentucky gave their best punch possible, and it still wasn't enough. I mean, are you reading into this game too much, or do you think this is kind of just one of those, hey, you're going to have these games throughout the year? Tell you what, man, when you get to November in college football, in my mind, there's one thing, there's two things you have to do. Number one, you got to win your games. Win the game that's in front of you. I don't care if you win it by a point, just win your game. Number two, stay healthy. Did Georgia do that? They did that. Was it pretty? Absolutely not. Stetson Bennett's stat line, 13 of 19, 116 passing yards and a, and a pick. He didn't have a touchdown on Saturday. I'll tell you what, was it pretty? No. Was it gritty, though? Yeah, they got it done. Um, kicking game, obviously, on point for them, uh, which that's kind of an underrated thing. If you want to look at a silver lining, uh, Podlesny, I'm, I'm, you know, pardon me if I'm, if I'm butchering his last name. Uh, but Jack Pudzlesny, uh, you know, really on point on Saturday for Georgia. I'm telling you, man, a kicking game, you got to have it down the stretch. You got to have it in the playoffs. And so, you know, silver lining, they were up 16-0 going into the fourth quarter. And then, uh, you know, looks like here around the 10-minute uh, mark in that fourth quarter, Kentucky, you know, rattled off a touchdown, uh, you know, a touchdown drive. So um, I don't think there's anything that is extremely out of the ordinary for this game. Like you said, I think this time of year, whether it's a Maryland playing Ohio State, whether it's a Kentucky playing a Georgia, whether it's a Baylor playing a TCU, an Illinois playing a Michigan, this is their quote-unquote Super Bowl. It's their biggest game of the year, just trying to give 
these top dogs trying to knock them off, you know? And so I think these teams come out passionate and they come out playing with nothing to lose. And when you are playing a team that has nothing to lose and you're a team that has everything to lose, makes you play a little bit more timid. Let's just be honest. So I don't think Georgia fans need to worry at all. I think they're still the undisputed. I mean, they're obviously reigning national champions, but undisputed number one team in the country. Um, until they're beaten, uh, I think they should stay there uh, regardless of performance. So nothing to worry about. Uh, just an inspired uh, Kentucky team roster filled with a good amount of talent. So, You know, and you brought up TCU and Baylor, and that's the next game you really got to highlight because – you know, a lot of people are like, well, you needed a walk-off field goal those 16 seconds to beat Baylor 29-28. For one, at one point, this was a top 15 Baylor team in the country. This is a good Baylor team. Let's not get it twisted. This is just a Baylor team that's lost some close games this year. But I was heavily impressed with TCU for this reason. TCU has won some tight games, and TCU has beaten some really good teams this year. But we've not seen TCU's back against the wall where it looked like, yeah, this one's probably over. And really good teams find a way to win when there doesn't seem to be a way. And they did that. And, you know, you talked about, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. possibly being the best wide receiver in the country. TCU's got a guy by the name of Quentin Johnson. This guy goes 6'4", 215. I'm going to say he's probably closer to 220. And I guarantee you when this guy goes to the combine, he's running somewhere in the 4'4s, if not 4'3s. An absolute monster of a wide receiver. Vertical vertical is going to be everything of 40 inches and then some. The guy is a unit, and you pair him with their quarterback, Max Duggan, and just how well coached they are by Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley on the offensive side of the football. I, I came out of that TCU game more in love with TCU than anything. I think that they are a legit national title threat with the athletes they have on that football team. They do, man, and complete props to Baylor for a great game. And I'm just going to say this. Let's not write – like you said, let's not write off Baylor. I think Baylor has a lot of talent, um, and I am a firm believer. I'm a big fan of Dave Aranda. I think he's done a great job with that program, uh, kind of bringing them – you know, everyone knows about the Art Browse scandal, that entire mess. Uh, they know about Matt Rule kind of just leaving the program in a really awkward spot. And so for Dave Aranda to come in and kind of turn this team into, I'm not going to say obviously a college football playoff or a national title threat, but man, to make them a competitive team, to take a small market, um, you know, big 12 team that's always kind of been that that runt, you know, in the, in the pack. I'll tell you what, he's done a good job of keeping them competitive. And I think Baylor is one of those teams that, you know, since Aranda's, Aranda's been there, um, you can never expect them, you know, to get blown out. They're going to go out. They're going to try their hardest. They're going to give it all they got. And they're going to make a competitive game with most teams that they play. So, you know, and Aranda had a lot of success as the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, uh, was heavily coveted by Ed Orgeron and went to LSU and had a lot of success there. You know, yeah. and uh, Baylor's success, TCU success, both those teams, it's it should mean more and people should pay more attention. And I say that because we're in we're in the age of NIL where guys can just kind of be bought. And these programs like TCU and Baylor, who are smaller Division One programs, who are in states like Texas, where you have Texas A&M and you have the University of Texas, respectfully, to be able to outbid you, essentially, on all of the big-name recruits, you're getting the guys that the big schools didn't want at that point. You're not getting the five-star D lineman. You're not getting the five-star quarterback. You're getting the three-stars, maybe a four-star here and there, but some – 
you know, lesser known recruits. So it speaks to the coaching and the development that both those staffs and programs have put in to be able to have their teams where they are. And that's why I love TCU so much is because none of the guys on their roster are guys that coming out of high school, we were like, Hey, give that guy two years. You know, they don't have a CJ Stroud on their roster. Yeah. You know, and I want to talk about, you know, another team with an elite quarterback that unfortunately just, just heartbreaking the torn ACL for Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee volunteers getting absolutely demolished by South Carolina there. You know, Spencer Rattler puts up 63 on the volunteers and Spencer Rattler had the coming out party that we've been saying he was long overdue for. And Shane Beaver gets the quality win that probably honestly buys him at least an extra two years in South Carolina. Cause you get that type of win in the sec against Tennessee. That's going to buy you some time there in South Carolina. What was your thoughts on, what the Gamecocks did there on Saturday. I'll tell you what, man, he maybe bought himself an extra, you know, two years. And if he goes out on Saturday and beats the Clemson Tigers in Death Valley, he might buy himself an extra three or four years, maybe five years, beating, you know, someone in a rivalry game on the road, Um, which I actually can't wait to see that game. Uh, Side note, I think it's going to be a great one. But uh, nonetheless, uh, first and foremost, uh, thoughts, prayers, and just, you know, going out to Hendon Hooker. Um, I think if you're you're a Tennessee fan, you've got nothing to hang your head at with this season. Was the game on Saturday a letdown? 100%. Um, was it disheartening? 100%. But I'll tell you what, coming into the season, uh, they've had a magical ride. If you want to say a Cinderella story, it kind of has had that feel to it. You know, knocking off the Alabama Crimson Tide on what was one of the most magical finishes we've seen in some time. Um, and just the overall uh, gauntlet that they ran. I mean, they still, uh, I believe, are the nationwide leader in top 25, you know, ranked victories. Tennessee's beaten some really good teams this year. They've had a great season. Uh, Nonetheless, though, it just had all the makings, you know, Beamer looking for that kind of marquee win to let people know, you know what, South Carolina, we're building something and we want to be here to stay. And these are the types of games that we're going to be able to win as long as I'm here, as long as I'm here, you know, at the helm, I think Beamer really showed on Saturday night, his guys are motivated to play for him. He's a player's coach. Um, and I think truly he put all his chips in and it paid off. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, great win for South Carolina. You got to feel good for Spencer Rattler, uh, you know, battling the adversity, uh, leaving Oklahoma uh, after, you know, the mess over there and, you know, seeing him really put up some good numbers, uh, and a chance to begin this Saturday with another marquee opponent. The eyes will be on him. Uh, this is only improving his draft stock. Uh, but once again, with the Tennessee Volunteers, great season. Not over yet. May get yourself, probably get yourself a New Year's Six Bowl. Go out on a high note. You know, Josh Heifel's definitely building something there. So I think both sides have things they got to, you know, keep their head, you know, held high, you know, regarding. So uh, positives on both sides. But overall, the, uh, you know, the, the victory, you know, the victory gets the spoils and that goes to South Carolina. So, Props to them for a really hard-fought and, honestly, a blowout that they delivered to Tennessee. You know, and you talked about stabilizing a program. Has Josh Heupel done that or what, man? I mean, Tennessee had been in, you know, kind of a state of confusion and disarray for quite some time. And he goes in and gets a Virginia Tech transfer and Hendon Hooker, brings in guys like Jalen Hyatt. And, they, I mean, the the future looks bright there. They have five-star QB going in. Yep. Who who he, is that kid, by the way? I can't remember his so, name. Uh, Nicholas Nico uh, Iyama Iyama Lavea. I th- I believe how so you pronounce it, Iyama Lavea, and you know, pardon me if I'm if I'm butchering his name once again, uh, mispronouncing his name. 
but apparently the kid's the truth. Um, five star coming out of California. And when you pull in kids like that, I mean, when kids see, you know, the season that like a Tennessee's had, um, it's only going to, you know, keep pulling kids to Rocky Top. And I think they're building something in Knoxville. So um, it truly, we could be seeing a changing of the guard here. I'm not here to, you know, and this is a topic for another day, but um, Georgia, obviously a phenomenal program, but Tennessee is one of those programs that as the SEC tides kind of turn, you know, turning as maybe the Saban dynasty is starting to, you know, hit its twilight years and, uh, Georgia may be kind of rising up now, and Kirby Smart maybe that new guy, that next guy. Look out for a Tennessee, a program like a Tennessee, to kind of start to become one of the more household names in the SEC. It's really exciting to see the change in college football, you know? You know, and I, I want to get your take on a little bit of the SEC. Obviously, Bama struggled a little bit against Austin Peay. I know they shut him out 34-0, but that's actually the lowest amount of points Alabama's put on an FCS team since the FCS was founded in 1978, back when it was Division One AA. So, I know 34 nothing still a drumming, but keep an eye on the fact that Bama has not been as dominant as normal. And then you look at teams like Auburn. And Auburn specifically was, you know, a situation that happened after the last time we had you on, but then firing Brian Harson, bringing in Carnell Cadillac Williams as their interim coach. And I want to start there with the Auburn situation. Obviously, you know, Logan and I have floated quite heavily. Could Dion be interested in that job? And there's reports coming out. I don't know how factual they are, and I don't know why he would do this. But Dion, who has Jackson State undefeated this year, coming off a win against Alcorn State this past weekend, there's reports that Dion has talked to both the University of Colorado and wow. the University of South Florida about sure. potentially being interested in their head coaching job. I don't understand that. Why he would leave Jackson State for either of those jobs is truly beyond me, considering what he's proven that you can go get the number one recruit in the country in Travis Hunter. To go play for Jackson State, you have your four-star quarterback and your son, Shador Sanders, who's had a terrific season. So I, if he's going to leave, he should only leave for a job like Auburn. Now reports are coming out, though, that maybe Dion's not the guy at Auburn, and Lane Kiffin could be the big name going to Auburn, that he could jump ship from Ole Miss and go to Auburn. And we saw Ole Miss get eviscerated this past Saturday by Arkansas. So first and foremost, I want to start with – if you were the athletic director at Auburn, who was your next head coach? And then I want to ask you to give your opinion on both Dion and Lane Kiffin as candidates at Auburn. Well, I'll tell you what, if I was the AD at Auburn, it's a little question uh, who I would go after. Well, as the season's gone on, I think if anything, uh, they've, you know, had a couple games as of late, that they've dropped. But I've been more than impressed uh, and at times, honestly, blown away with the job that Lane Kiffin's done on Ole Miss. Um, I know Lane Kiffin has his critics and, you know, rightfully so, you know, what happened out in Tennessee and USC. Uh, but to me, Lane Kiffin has kind of found that footing. He's kind of found that ground that he needed to at a job like an Ole Miss where he can come in, got some talent. He's got that deep south recruiting tie. You know, he can pull kids out of the Alabamas. He can pull kids out of the Mississippis, Louisianas, Georgias, that deep south pipeline. He can try to develop some of them. And you know what? Lane Kiffin, uh, he really has done a great job. This is my thing. And I said it, you know, just a couple uh, weeks ago, I was talking to a group of buddies. And Lane Kiffin, to me, I can't believe I'm going to say it. To me, he's the heir to uh, the Saban throne. If I were the Alabama AD, I would look at a guy like Lane Kiffin. He's young. He's got moxie. He's got draw to me. I think guys love playing for him. And I think if I was Auburn, I would be all over him. But I truly see kind of some Saban-esque vibes in him. 
he's kind of got that, you know, that draw. He's kind of got that like molding to him. If I was Auburn though, I would be all over a guy like Lane Kiffin, but we'll see ultimately, you know, what goes down. So. I, you know, the Auburn job is so interesting to me because could a guy like Matt rule, you know, who got fired by the Carolina Panthers, but has had a lot of collegiate success with Baylor and temple. Could a guy like Matt rule surface as a possibility there, you know, uh, the Auburn job is going to be interesting because Auburn has a rich history with guys like Gene Chizik having success there, Gus Malzahn having success there. And of course, way back when Auburn having a lot of success. So th- that job is going to be interesting. Um, you know, prime time looking at a job like Colorado makes a little to no sense to me. I, Dion, if you listen, I know you don't, but if you ever do, don't take the Colorado job. Just, just going to give you some free advice, buddy. Um, I will say, the Auburn job, Lane Kiffin, to me, going from Ole Miss to Auburn is more of a lateral move, if anything. You know, the, the, for one, they're in the same conference. So you're on the same level of play. Two, here recently, Ole Miss has had just as much, if not more, success than Auburn. So I agree. Yeah. You, and Mississippi is a hotbed for recruits here lately. So I would definitely not necessarily make that move unless Auburn pays you a large amount. A dark horse name, and I know this will appeal to you. I know here lately they have not looked as good with a bad loss against UConn, although this UConn team is much improved with Jim Mora as the head coach, former UCLA Bruin coach. But Hugh Freeze, who has coached in the SEC, former Ole Miss coach, has rebuilt the Liberty football program into something that, you know, you got guys like Malik Willis in the NFL, Antonio Gandy-Golden was in the NFL, and this is a legit Liberty program. Auburn would not necessarily be bad. I know Hugh Freeze has some scandals in his past, but if you can look past those and if you truly believe that Hugh Freeze has paid his dues and has fixed those mistakes in his past, Hugh Freeze could be a name worth keeping an eye on with that Auburn job. I agree, man, 100%. And sorry I had to cut off. I feel like I cut my answer off just a little bit early last time. I was getting a tickle in my throat. I had to cough a little bit. Uh, I know I cut you short of the Dion answer. Um, I second everything you said with Dion. Uh, I think he's building something. Uh, you know, for HBCUs, he's building something. He's kind of making a name for himself in that realm. Um, I think Dion truly, he's the type of guy. He's got the resume already. He's got that draw. He would bring guys in. NIL, I feel like him and NIL go so well together. Um, to me, he could do better than starting out at a South Florida or starting out at a Colorado if he wanted to move, you know, to the Power Five ranks, you know, to the FBS ranks. Um, he could do better, no disrespect to Colorado and South Florida, but he could do better than that. I could see him getting, I'm not going to say, you know, a top five job right away, but definitely a solid power five job, you know, nonetheless. I'm going I'm to disrespect South Florida and Colorado. I have no problem disrespecting okay. okay. because um, I, I think the last guy of note that either of those teams put in the NFL was Philip Lindsay with Colorado, respectively. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't understand that at all. If I'm Dion, you know, like, I would even say at this point, I would rather have a job like an Iowa State job than I would rather have a you know a Colorado job. I would say Dion heavy look at Auburn, and here's why: if Auburn brings in Dion with the way the transfer portal works, Dion probably brings Travis Hunter with him. Dion yeah. also probably brings his son Shador Sanders with him. If you're Auburn, do you pitch like a little package deal? to try and get all three of them set up with a nice NIL with big donors at Auburn 
to pay Travis Hunter, to pay Shador Sanders, and to pay Deion Sanders. To me, that might be more enticing than just the pedigree that maybe Lane Kiffin brings as a coach. Tell you what, it definitely would. And who wouldn't, who would, I mean, personally, who wouldn't want to see Deion Sanders and Nick Saban go at it in the Iron Bowl? I think those would be two amazing personalities to see go at it. I could just see media leading up to that matchup, you know, press just going crazy. Uh, I thought the players would be at each other. It would kind of bring some and reinvigorate, you know, some passion into that rivalry that it so desperately needs that we really haven't seen you know, for quite some time. The game always brings passion, always brings energy. But I just, I don't know, that competitive edge, that competitive balance, we need it back in the Iron Bowl. And I think a guy like a Deion Sanders, if you almost want to call it like an instant or sped up rebuild, he could probably do it at a school like an Auburn. So I think it's definitely worth a call. Um, definitely worth a call. And if I had an assurance, like, okay, I could bring Travis with me, I could bring Shadur with me. Gosh, that would be hard to turn down. That would be hard to turn down. I think Dion would do what Link, uh, what Lincoln Riley did at USC. USC was decent, not great. They were doing some nice things, but not great things. They were putting guys in the league, but they weren't producing with those guys while they had them under Clay Hilton. They bring in Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley overnight brings in Jordan Addison, brings in Caleb Williams, brings in Travis Dye. And USC is poised after a nice win against UCLA 48-45 to potentially make the college football playoff if they win out and win the Pac-12. And Dion could do that overnight. And I want to get into USC because I personally cannot stand Lincoln Riley. Um, <laughs> I have no reason. There's absolutely no reason. I don't know Lincoln Riley. I've never met him. I have no reason to have such disdain for Lincoln Riley. But to me, he is on my uh, – there's three college coaches that I will always root against. Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, and Lincoln Riley. Don't ask me why Lincoln Riley is up there with those two, but he's right there. Wow. But I tell you what, all, all hats off to him because they lost Travis Dye to injury, and they, the offense still is humming. But the defense is a legit concern for me, and I worry when they go up against a guy because it looks like as long as Oregon, and let's you know pump the brakes on it being a surefire win for Oregon at Corvallis against Oregon State this week, but if they can beat Oregon State, it looks like – USC would be going up against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. No surefire thing after Oregon with a nice win against Utah and Bo Nix looking like a legit quarterback. But if it's not Oregon, there's still a shot that it could be Washington with Michael Penix Jr. and the you know high-powered offense that Washington has this year. So I love what USC is doing. And although they are poised to make the college football playoff, I'm going to say not so fast. Because I, I could see them losing in that Pac-12 title game. If I had to have you right now, give me your college football playoff. Yes or no, is USC in there? Man, it's tough. It's tough. Um, I have realized this with the Pac-12. And I feel like everyone, you know, they're the first conference that everyone wants to oust from the playoff conversation. and. It's almost not even um, – I don't feel like it's other conferences pushing them out as much as it is their own conference pushing them out. What I mean by that is they cannibalize themselves every single year. I mean, every single year. They never fail to beat up on each other and eliminate each other. And so 
I would not be the least bit surprised if a USC went out into the Pac-12 championship in Vegas, lost to whether it's Oregon, whether it's Utah. But, man, obviously I would never call it a rigged game or encourage you know a team to lose. But you have to be thinking, if you're the Pac-12 commissioner sitting out there just thinking, my word, USC, please pull this game out. we got to have some representation because, man, it just seems like it never fails. When it comes, you know, when the when push comes to shove, when push comes to shove, it just seems like every single year the top dog in the Pac-12 loses a game they shouldn't lose or loses in that conference championship or just loses a marquee matchup late that completely eliminates them from the conversation. I think USC is one of the more complete Pac-12 teams in the recent years, and I think that has to do ultimately with Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison. What a connection. Um, I do believe, though, USC has potential to make the playoff, but man, oh man, they've got to get past uh, that Pac-12 championship and overcome that cannibalization that the Pac-12 has become accustomed to, in my opinion, for the last four, five, six years. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Toby, I think the last Pac-12 team to make the playoff was Washington. Was it Washington? I was see I, the last one I can vividly remember is Marcus Mariota in Oregon. But did Washington make it that year that Michigan Washington. State made it? Um, I believe Washington made it with Jake Browning back in wow 15. I don't believe the Pac-12 has made a semi has made you know a semifinal appearance. You know that that top four has made it has had a team in the semifinals uh, since 15. I think obviously Oregon got in in 14. Uh, you know and played Ohio State in the you know 2015 championship and then that 15-16 season. I think Washington played Bama in round one. And I think Michigan State, gosh, sorry, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I don't want to butcher this too much. I think Washington played Bama. I think Washington played Bama, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So, well, I mean, I'll, I can pretty much cap the debate for us because I'm looking at the weekend slate. USC doesn't make the playoff. USC's got Notre Dame this weekend. Notre Dame has figured things out, and Marcus Freeman is determined to ruin as many seasons as he can now. He is determined to show everybody why they counted him out way too soon. And his football team is playing great now. And Notre Dame is going to beat USC this weekend. Notre Dame is going to beat USC, and they'll have two losses. So with that being said, let's get into uh, some hypothetical here. College football playoff. Let's do it. Georgia. And. I mean, they win the SEC. So in this, this you know, alternate scenario, Georgia wins the SEC and they blow out LSU in the SEC title game. Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Man, they, they win it. TCU wins the Big 12. But Clemson either loses to South Carolina or they lose to North Carolina in the ACC title game. USC loses to Notre Dame, like I predicted. And Alabama beats Auburn. <laughs> Are we in a world where Alabama does not even make the SEC title game, but gets into the college football playoff? Well, it would probably be the most Alabama thing ever happened, wouldn't it? Um, tell you what, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility if that chaotic, 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 you know, result really does ensue and really does happen. Um, I think the true chaos here, the true chaos that actually, in my opinion, I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but has a slight chance of happening. If LSU beats Georgia, LSU's in. 
LSU would you keep has- Georgia in? Would you keep Georgia? Would you keep Georgia in, in that scenario? Because that's a debate I've had a lot too. Is if LSU beats Georgia, I almost feel like you have to keep Georgia in because they're the defending national champ, and their one loss is against the team who beat Bama. Gosh. Well, let's say this. This is let's let's get really hairy here. Let's get really hairy here. In that scenario, do we say an Ohio State? Uh, wins out, or are we gonna say Michigan beats Ohio State in week, you know, week twelve in Columbus, week thirteen in Columbus? I would say Ohio. State, I would say Ohio State. In order for this scenario to work, because in this scenario, I would be looking at a one last one loss Pac twelve champion USC and a one loss ACC champion Clemson being left out of the playoff. And I would have Georgia in. I would have LSU in. And what I would do is I would have Ohio State as the number one team in the country winning the Big Twelve, Big Ten. I'd have TCU as the number two team in the country, undefeated, winning the Big 12. I'd have LSU at three, Georgia at four. And your semifinal would be OSU and Georgia, LSU and TCU. And then the committee is going to have to answer for the fact that over the years, they have put a lot of stock into winning your conference championship. And instead, they put a two-loss conference champion in, a one-loss no-conference champion over USC, and Clemson, who are one-loss conference champs. Tell you what, man, it would have, like you said, they'd have a lot of explaining to do. And I feel like if there's been anything the playoff committee's done, uh, they have a tough job. They have a, they have a tough job, but I feel like they've definitely shown some inconsistencies here. I feel like it just differentiates each year. This is the question that I ask every year: Are they wanting to put? Is the goal to put the four best teams in the playoff, or is the goal to put the four most deserving teams in the playoff? Because in my eyes, those are two different answers. Those are two different scenarios. So chaos, I'm always a fan of chaos. But, man, I know the playoff committee is not, you know, is not a fan of chaos because they're going to have to – they'll probably be staying up all night long. They have to crunch these numbers, you know, compare these schedules. So they're probably just wanting the most simple outcome possible to save themselves – Hours and hours and hours of debate and hours and hours and hours of being scrutinized, you know, by the general public. So it's truly going to be a fascinating finish to the season. I believe that so many different scenarios that can play out. Um, I think this year, though, could prove, you know, for the first time in a while, a team might get in that hadn't even won their conference championship. Maybe if it is a Georgia that loses to an LSU, maybe if it is a Michigan that loses to Ohio State barely on the road, if they lose on a walk-off field goal, Columbus, maybe Michigan, you know, hangs on. If, you know, if TCU drops a game, it gives a team like a Michigan a road back in. Maybe just maybe Alabama, two losses, no conference championship. If pure chaos ensues, maybe just maybe they have a shot at getting back in. And that's absolutely crazy to think about, but it's been an absolutely crazy year in college football. So we can't think anything less, you know. And and I'll table this conversation by saying, in a perfect world, Georgia wins out. Ohio State wins out. TCU wins out. And the four spot, we're debating a one-loss Clemson and a one-loss USC. And in that debate, it's not a debate. It's USC. USC's one loss was a nail-biter last second on the road at Utah, who was playing incredibly inspired. You know, they were debuting their helmets that they had made to, you know, honor their two fallen teammates. So it was an extremely emotional game that Utah was playing up for. Clemson's one loss is just embarrassing. The way they lost to Notre Dame. Not that they lost to Notre Dame, but in the fashion that they did it. So I don't even think it's a debate. I would actually, in the event that we're debating Clemson or USC or Clemson and Alabama, I would put either of those teams in ahead of Clemson because, in my opinion, Clemson would get destroyed by 
any of the three aforementioned teams, Ohio State, TCU, and Georgia. So I want to switch, though, because for as much as what was going on in college football, there's a lot going on in the NFL. A lot. And I want to start with the Cleveland Browns. You know, they lose the Buffalo Bills in Detroit, 31-23. And I said at the beginning of the year that Jacoby Brissett was going to write the ship. He was going to have the Browns at 6-5, and and Watson was going to come in and lead them to the playoffs. Brissett's actually played pretty good football this year. Let's start there. Like, everybody wants to say, well, yeah, but Jacoby Brissett, he just hasn't played good. No, Jacoby Brissett's played darn good football this year. It just so happens Amari Cooper is his only consistent weapon. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones has played good, not great football this year. And his third option is probably David Bell. And that's not saying much. So Jacoby Brissett has played good. He's had 2,398 passing yards, 11 touchdowns to five interceptions. That's not bad football. For a career backup, that's not bad football at all. And it's winning football. They're a run-first offense with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, and it's worked up until yesterday's game where Nick Chubb only had 19 rushing yards. But the offense has not been the problem. It's the defense. An absolute disgrace. You know, Miles Garrett has played amazing. He's the number one rated defensive player in all of pro football focus. But the rest, Denzel Ward has been sad this year. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa has been sad this year. Jadavian Clowney has been sad this year. The secondary, you know, Martin Emerson, and for a rookie, has shown flashes at times, but overall, not great. And this defense is showing that they miss a guy like Anthony Walker, a true stood leader in the middle of the defense. This defense, I'm here to say, this Deshaun Watson trade may go down as an all-time bad one, not because of Watson's performance, but because of everything the Browns had to give up and all the holes they still have. They still need a wide receiver too. They still need potentially a left tackle because there's some serious question marks with Jedrick Wills. And then they need a ton on defense. Are you even remotely confident in the outlook of the Browns? Well, man, I'll tell you what, the Cleveland Browns are truly an anomaly. I know they turn a lot of heads giving not trading for Deshaun Watson in the first place obviously the Watson trade rumors were hot for some time you know it seemed like every team under the sun was rumored to be trading for him at one point or the other the Browns just so having the team that finally pulled the trigger you know with that though I think my biggest issue with the entire trade and we can't until Deshaun Watson steps out here and it's and I think you have to give a full year to kind of you know, have the keys to the franchise, be that franchise guy that they they paid up for. And that's my biggest thing. They paid up for a guy who has not played football, organized football for going on two years. I mean, let's be completely honest about it. It is an extreme unknown. It is, it's an extreme risk. But you know what they say? High risk, high reward. That's maybe what the Browns are trying to hold out for here. You know that's what Stefanski and the entire front office, the entire team, the entire you know coaching staff is holding out to hope for. You know what? Gosh, we really wagered a lot. We bet a lot. But you know what? Sometimes you bet and it comes back to bite you. And sometimes you bet and you pay dividends from it. And I think the Browns may just see that. I, I really think they do. But at the same time, if Watson doesn't come out and produce essentially right away and looks and it looks bad, you know, if he comes out and looks like Russell Wilson did for the Broncos, oh my word, that franchise, um, you know, the fans of that Browns franchise are going to be upset. And I think it's an understatement. They're going to be furious because they're going to be thinking to themselves, we literally traded away our entire future. 
you know, an incredible, incredible, you know, base, um, you just, just a great, you know, just that foundation for a guy who like we hit, you know, like we talked about, hasn't played organized football in two years. So a lot of question marks, still time in my eyes to turn it around for the Browns, but nonetheless, they wagered a lot and only time will tell if they wagered right. I mean, the Browns don't have a first round pick this year in a draft that's going to have a lot of defensive talent. And in a draft where the Browns need defensive talent badly, the Browns don't have a first round pick this year in a draft where there's going to be some legit wide receiver options and a team that could use a legit wide receiver option. And they don't have a first round pick because they traded and gave over $200 million guaranteed money to a guy who took his last NFL game snap in January of 2020 before you and I were required to wear a mask everywhere we went. (laughs) I mean, put that in perspective. I am not confident, but I will tell you, I wasn't confident in Jeff Saturday being the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And the dude has impressed me. The Colts lost to the Eagles 17 to 16, but the Colts are playing with passion. They're playing with more fire and they look like a different football team. Do you, if you are Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard and you're running the Colts, do you lift the interim tag? Tell you what, man, um, you talk about a player's coach. I feel like he got them really motivated to come out. And let's just let's just look at it for a second. Lost by a point to the best, the team with the best record in the entire NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles. Probably should have beat the Eagles at one point. Had them on the ropes. Looked like they're going to deliver that knockout blow. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. I know it was a loss, but honestly, it felt like a win for Jeff Saturday. Look, you know, 17-16 goes in an L in the, uh, you know, in the uh, stat sheet, you know, in the uh, win and loss column, it goes as an L. But I'll tell you what, I think it's a win, and this is why. He chose Matt Ryan, and I think he, I think choosing Matt Ryan, I think going out there, playing Jonathan Taylor, I know we heard all the rumors, the Colts are struggling, they're going to give Ellinger, you know, the right, you know, the rights to, you know, run this offense. Are they going to shut down JT for the year? I'll tell you what, I think Jeff Satter's come back in and said, you know what, we're not throwing in the towel. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to see what we can do. We're going to pull this thing together, and we're going to be competitive. That's exactly what they did. And I think for that, if you just want a gritty, puts his head, you know, head down, goes to work, just blue collar, lunch pail type of personality, who I frankly love as a football coach, I think Jeff Saturday is worth a look and worth the look at you know promoting to that head, you know, that head coach, full time head coach status, lifting that interim tag. I think he has to be. Uh, considered for it. I think he's worth it at this point. I know it's a one game sample size, but let's see kind of, you know, obviously an awesome, awesome first impression. Let's see how the rest of the season pans out. Does have to make the playoffs in my mind to, you know, to get the job. But if he comes out, if they look competitive, if they win a few games, I think he would be a very worthy candidate if he wants the job. You know, it's similar to the situation in Carolina. You know, they lose to the Ravens 13-3, to and they've had to weather some terrible quarterback play. Baker Mayfield's not looked good this year. But, you know, Carolina's considering lifting the interim tag on Steve Wilkes because they look competitive and they look more disciplined. And I think you get the same thing with Jeff Saturday. I want to ask you a question. Who has the longest winning streak in the NFC currently? Can you answer that off the top of your head? Longest winning streak in the NFC currently? Well, um, Golly, longest winning streak currently. Just going to throw it out there. Is it Washington? It's the Detroit Lions. No way. Three straight wins. <laughs> Golly, that's crazy. Dan Campbell <laughs> and the Detroit Lions beat the New York Giants 31-18. And they get on Thanksgiving, the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night football. 
I, I, I'm all about hot takes. It's hard not to pull for them, isn't it? I, they are so fun. I mean, they're just so fun. And the big thing, and this may go unnoticed, but Jamison Williams returned to practice for the Detroit Lions today. Yep. Their first-round pick, number 12 overall, wide receiver out of Alabama, former Ohio State Buckeye. This offense could really turn some heads now. You know, and this is even in the midst of going through a running back controversy where DeAndre Swift is hardly playing at all anymore. But all Jamal Williams did was have three rushing touchdowns yesterday. I love what Detroit's doing. Did you see the uh, Patriots-Jets game? Patriots went on a walk-off punt return. I did not see it. I obviously heard about it. Um, I did not see it. How about them holding the Jets, you know, that Jets offense to three points? It's pretty impressive. Uh, there's now reports that several Jets teammates are ticked off at Zach Wilson because he's walking around the building like he's not the problem after having a stat line of going 9 of 22 for 77 yards. And Robert Sala came out today and said he's non-committal on who his starting quarterback will be. Now, mind you, they do have Joe Flacco still on the roster and Mike White as well. Ooh, forgot about that guy. Is this the end of Zach Wilson as a starter for the New York Jets? Well, I've been just – just throwing this out here. It's funny you bring the question to me. Uh, Zach Wilson, I don't think it's time to throw in the towel on him. Um, and this isn't to throw another guy in the loop. Uh, but I'll tell you what, um, this entire year as I've seen him just progress, imagine if the Jets took a guy like Justin Fields instead of Zach Wilson. Just imagine the possibilities. Imagine if the Niners took a guy like Justin Fields. Um, and I know it's another topic for another day. But just as I'm thinking about this Jets quarterback controversy, imagine the headache that they would have saved if maybe they just took a more proven prospect in a guy like a Justin Fields. And now they've got to turn to, okay, are we going to take a guy who he's got himself a Super Bowl and Joe Flacco? We're going to turn to a guy who I know he's – I think Mike White, does he have a winning career record technically? I mean, which is impressive. I mean, technically, I mean, probably the most impressive thing was that win against Cincinnati last year. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, props to him for that, for pulling that off. Um I don't think it's time to throw in the towel on Zach Wilson, obviously. Uh, but I definitely think uh, that front office has to be looking themselves in the mirror saying, you know what? I don't know if we chose the best prospect there. Just, that's, that's where I'd be. You know, that's where I'd be with it. Um, I don't think it's time to throw in the towel. None, but nonetheless, I think they got to be kicking themselves. Seeing what Mac Jones has done, seeing what Justin Fields has done. Um, it's been pretty impressive. Uh, to see what those guys have done, honestly, as being the uh, fourth and fifth quarterbacks taken, if I'm not mistaken. I think it went Lawrence, uh, Wilson, Lance. And so um, the Jets definitely probably doing some soul searching, just thinking about, man, did we really tab Zach Wilson as our franchise quarterback? Is this the guy? And at this point, it's hard to really see the reason why he would be the guy. But who knows? Maybe they'll turn it around. Maybe they'll end up, uh, maybe they'll end up you know, making some moves, uh, and, you know, gelling more as this offseason goes. But, man, if the locker room's turned against you, that's a really hairy situation to be in. So we'll see how it plays out. It should be interesting. You know, you talk about a quarterback whose career's done as a starter. That's Carson Wentz in Washington. The commanders came out today. Ron Rivera said he's sticking with Taylor Heineke. Heineke's the guy now. Commanders are now 6-5 and five after beating the Texans 23-10. to 10. Heineke, yeah. you know, modest stat line, 15-27 for 191. But the thing he's doing is he's taking care of the football. No interceptions in that game. Um, really impressed with Washington. I want to, you know, wrap up the show with just a couple takes from you. First, I want to get your hot take for this upcoming weekend, college or NFL. What's the hot take for this coming weekend? Well, maybe you'll call it hot. I don't know. Um, I've been, I've been, you know, 
pretty much locked into this for the last couple of weeks. Uh, even going into the Tennessee game, I've been locked into it, not saying they're going to beat Tennessee, uh, but thought they'd be competitive. I've been saying it, man, and I just have a feeling I think Spencer Rattler is going to continue his hot streak. And I think South Carolina is going to go into Death Valley and is going to pull off, pull out a win uh, over the Clemson Tigers. I just – I don't know why. I think Beamer has his guys ready to go. I know everybody, you know, talks about the uh, general letdown game after a really emotional win, which that Tennessee game had all of that, had all the emotion, had all the emotional high, you know, running rampant, you know, throughout all of the South Carolina fan base. But, man, this is a rivalry game. This is a battle for South Carolina state supremacy. So there's going to be no lack of emotion. And I think it's just going to be, guys, look, we've done it this week. You know, we've done it once. Let's go and do it again. And I think Spencer Rattler is going to go out and say, look, man, if I can win this game, my my draft stock, it's only going to grow. It's only going to grow. So I think Spencer Rattler is going to be motivated. I think these guys are going to be motivated. And honestly, man, that's my hot take. I think South Carolina is going to go on the road and beat the Clemson Tigers. I really do. You know, when Rattler's draft stock is getting better and better because of other guys outside of him, you know, Will Levis struggling a lot this year has killed his draft stock. And then Hooker's torn ACL hurts his draft stock. So outside of Stroud and Young, there's now more of a who is QB3 in this draft. Um, I also want to ask you, speaking of quarterbacks at the college ranks, who's your Heisman? If you had to pick right now, who's hoisting the Heisman this year? Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, unbiased. I mean, un, I'm not trying to be biased. Uh, it's hard not to speak C.J. Stroud right now. He's got the name recognition. He's got the Ohio State brand recognition. Um, it is sad. I feel like there's some instances where the Heisman, I saw someone, you know, post about this and it's kind of been called this as of late, you know, they feel like the Heisman's a popularity contest and, and it really can be, uh, it has traces of that. Um, it's hard to deny a guy like CJ Stroud. Um, but let's just be honest to me as an Ohio state fan, CJ Stroud, I'm a huge fan. Obviously said at the beginning of the show, um, proud of the kid. I think he's come in really weathered a lot of heavy expectations having to follow up you know, statistically two of the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history and, you know, Dwayne Haskins, RIP Dwayne Haskins, uh, and then Justin Fields and Ryan Day system. He really had to come in and, you know, you know, really carry a lot of heavy expectations, a lot of scrutiny from the Ohio State fan base. I think CJ Stroud's done a great job. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, I guess he would be the guy I would pick in this somewhat underwhelming year. But Drake May's a guy too, man. He's really turned some heads. That kid's got a ton of potential, uh, really young, really bright. Uh, Drake May, I think, deserves an invitation. Um, I'm just going to say this. I wonder this Saturday, with Hendon Hooker, you know, tearing his ACL, which, once again, thoughts and prayers are with him throughout the recovery process. Hendon Hooker deserves an invite. Um, I really wonder, Blake Corum, C.J. Stroud, if that's kind of a Heisman battle this Saturday, kind of an under, you know, underlying storyline. Everyone knows about C.J. Stroud being the perceived front runner. If Blake Corum comes in, shows up, really plays well, and somehow, some way overcomes and beats Ohio State, you know, with a heck of a running game, you know, heck of a, you know, rushing stat line. Who's to say he wouldn't be in that finalist debate? So it's really intriguing. I think it's been an underwhelming year, but maybe this Saturday, uh, that underrated battle between Corum and Stroud uh, may add some, you know, fuel to this Heisman, you know, race fire, if that makes sense. You know, and I will say a couple names to, you know, keep an eye on. I think Quorum and Stroud have to be at the top of the list. So two teams are undefeated. If either one of them leads their team to an undefeated regular season, they're going to be right up there for it. Um, 
you alluded to Drake May. If he didn't look as bad as he did against Georgia Tech, I'd have him right there. Head and hooker, the torn ACL is unfortunate. Max Duggan, the quarterback at TCU, 26 touchdowns, three interceptions, 2,800 passing yards this year. Definitely a name to watch. And Caleb Williams there at USC, over 3,400, almost 3,500 passing yards this year, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. A guy who, because he's on the West Coast, goes unnoticed. Um, Caleb Williams, dark horse Heisman candidate. I would agree with you. Stroud has to probably be the favorite right now, which is absurd because Stroud has a stat line where he threw for less than 80 yards in a game. When's the last time you had a Heisman trophy winner have that bad of a game? Um, and I'll tell you, my you know hot take uh, is that USC is going to lose this weekend to Notre Dame. Maybe not the hottest of takes, uh, but definitely one that I stand by. Luke, I've had a blast, man. Uh, folks, if you haven't been able to tell, Luke is going to come on much more regularly because uh, we said it last time, he literally is sports center in a body. So, Luke, it's been a blast, man. Can't wait to do it again. But, folks, that's all we got for you guys this time. Like we always tell you guys, rate, subscribe, and review to the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.